137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal. My name is Sean. I don't really have much exciting stuff going on at the moment, and sometimes no news is good news. And with me, as always, is Preston. Preston, buddy, how are you and your bracelets doing? Uh, me and my bra- bracelets are amazing. What's up, all you cool ghosts and goblins, you crackacoons, crackadingos, you skeletor, skeletets, and wannabe occultists, and whatever else you want to be? Dude, fucking Mother Nature's out to get me, I swear. Like, it, I think it's still pissed about that uh, baby possum. <laughs> so I, I told you how I was attacked by a wasp, the, you know, as I was mowing the yard, and then I was over at Aunt Donna's house, and I got attacked by a wasp again. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyways, where was I at? I'm getting uh, I'm getting confused here because I'm trying to do like twenty things. Uh, you killed a possum. A gypsy cursed you with thinner. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, I don't think we. And actually, hold on. I don't think we say gypsy anymore. So my apologies to the uh, Roma people. Traveling, traveling person, a Romani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Mother Nature cursed you with thinner. Yeah. So what's Tuesday? Yesterday. I'm uh. Working in Blake's bedroom, I'm finishing mudding and taping, and I got like you know shit all over me. And I finally, I think I know how. I know how uh, was it uh, was it Michelangelo that did the ceiling uh, painting where he was up there, Sistine Chapel, Sistine Chapel. I think I finally know how Michelangelo felt. <laughs> so the problem is, is the the ceiling height is not quite tall enough that I can do everything properly by just standing. I mean, you know, I, I need about another like four inches on my fingers. So I have to get on a Who ladder. Who couldn't use another four inches? Yeah. Uh, so I have to get on my <laughs> ladder, but then the ladder makes me a little bit too tall. So now I'm like all crippled and hunched weird. And I'm like trying to sit there and button tape. So I get done. I'm filthy. My back hurts. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to take a bath. Get the bathwater going, and I'm like, we use a bathroom real quick. So there I am, as the good Lord made me, <laughs> naked as the day I was born, doing my stuff, covered get, in mud, getting ready to take my bath, being all vulnerable. That is the that is the time in your life. I'm here to tell you is that when you feel the most vulnerable, I don't care what the situation is. Insert any situation. The minute you are naked <laughs> and some situation happens, you're just like vulnerable. So, anyways, you know, flush the toilet, get ready to get into the bath, shut the water off, and there are two fucking wasps just like, I don't know, going at it like right around the water in the bathtub. And I'm just thinking, like, dude, my dick's going to get stung. Like, I don't know what to do because I'm naked and there's wasps. <laughs> trying to get me why is mother nature doing this to me and uh so uh got the uh bottle of rubbing alcohol and just started fucking hosing the place down got them both they <laughs> and then died and uh-huh. uh <clears throat> you know life was good after that hell yeah man i have been pretty lucky in the neighborhood of wasps except for i took my dog out the other day on lunch and i was thinking to myself i haven't really seen any wasps for like a week 
and I happened to walk over to the maple tree that's in our front yard because I saw some giant like mega wasp fly by. It might have been the queen. I don't know. And I saw it kind of like duck into this fork in the uh, maple tree. So I happened to kind of walk over a little closer and glance in. And there's just a hive of just, you know, pulsating wings. And I ran inside, got the can of uh, home defense, shook it up and started spraying just, I mean, as rapid fire as I could. And they just blew up into like, I mean, 20 or 30 of them just go in all different directions. And I realized, you know, wasps are just as vital as bees. And I agree with that until they start, you know, infesting my front porch and chasing me around the yard like Donald Duck. Yeah, just get away from my house and, you know, I'll love them like every one of God's little creatures. Yeah. But yeah, I have yet to be uh, stung again, knock on wood, you know, fingers crossed and all that good stuff. Well, this episode is going to be a lot of fun because uh, I'm not even going to say folks strap in for a big show because I'm tired of like thinking, Preston, we got over 10 pages. We're going to be well into an hour and a half long episode. And then it's like 40 minutes. And then other times I'm like, well, we got about four and a half pages, Preston. It's going to be a quick one. And we're an hour and 20 minutes in. So I'm just going to stop saying that kind of stuff. We're just going to strap in and, and for whatever length of ride we're going to have. But we got a lot of good stuff. Super excited. But before I go any farther, I want to give another shout out to our buddy Lazarus for that really awesome new intro screen that we got featuring some of the more um, viewer friendly yeast pictures that we had. <laughs> I'll have to show Shayla uh, what he made. But yeah, really awesome new intro video from Lazarus. We really appreciate you, buddy. Keep them coming, buddy. Keep them coming. Mm-hmm. Now, to get started with the news, we have three stories that I have creatively linked together. So see if you guys can kind of see where one goes to the next and so on. First up in Lake Mary, Florida. A three-legged bear known locally as Tripod was recently caught on camera breaking into a home in Lake Mary, Florida over the weekend and was recorded while helping itself to some snacks as well as some adult beverages. The event happened on Sunday around 5 p.m. to an unlucky homeowner named Josuari Fanietti de Glio. Josuari's 13-year-old son, Joseph, and the family dog named Bruno were both inside the home at the time of the intrusion. Joseph said he realized there was a bear in the home shortly after he heard the dog Bruno barking hysterically. So he went to investigate the noise and then watched his tripod, the neighborhood-friendly bear, ripped off their makeshift screen door and entered their enclosed patio. Joseph can then be heard on the video saying, Oh my God, I've never been this close to a bear. Tripod then made himself at home and lumbered over to the family's mini fridge. Joseph said, once I saw him open the fridge, I got scared that he could open doors to the house as well. Tripod had some fish food that was next to the aquarium and then proceeded over to the mini bar. He took three white claws out of the fridge, sank his teeth into each of them and drank the contents then left the house, apparently very happy and possibly a little tipsy. His favorite flavor apparently was the mango strawberry. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission said that bears will test foods and bite cans of drinks to see what's inside. We do not believe that bears choose cans that are filled with alcohol on purpose. It is likely just a random search to test what's inside. 
The homeowner said this was the second time a bear has broken through the patio screen, but they accept that it's part of living in Lake Mary. The family said Tripod is a well-liked member of the neighborhood, and they weren't scared because they know the bear really well. He lives in the area, so they respect his habitat as much as they can. The FWC doesn't have immediate plans to go try to catch Tripod, but said, while Tripod is just on the screen porch and found an unsecured fridge, a bear that enters a home then becomes a public safety issue and should be reported to wildlife officials immediately. With fall coming, of course, bears are more active as they search for food and pack for fat reserves, even if they're not hibernating, as well as they do in colder climates. This encourages residents to remove or secure anything that might attract a bear, including garbage, pet food, and bird seed. Seeing a bear in a neighborhood isn't a cause for immediate concern, but a bear that may settle down and stay in the area looking for a source of food could lead to a natural fear of the people living in the area. Now, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission also says, avoid encounters between a bear and other wildlife such as pets. Bang on your door, flip on your house lights, on and off and on and off, letting your pets outside. This will give a bear and any other wildlife time to leave the area before your pets come outside. If you don't have a fenced yard, keep your dog on a short leash whilst taking them outside. Now, Preston, if you would, sir, please cue up the first photo of the bear with the wrinkly ass. Up next in the Hongzhou Zoo over in China. Apparently, a video has gone viral of a black-colored sun bear at a zoo in China where the bear can be seen standing on its hind legs on a principus of a rock feature and interacting with tourists by waving its paws back and forth. And while this might seem pretty normal, there is apparently more than meets the eye to the sun bear exhibit at the popular exhibit at the Hangzhou Zoo. The citizen who posted the video is convinced that the talented bear is actually nothing more than a human wearing a bear costume. They pointed out that the bear's human-like movements while standing and waving um, also appears to have pant-like folds around the rear end when standing. And you can see in that photo, it does kind of have a weird wrinkly butt. So either that's a human in a bear costume or that bear just lost like 600 pounds and he's got the skin wrinkles. I mean, those are your only two explanations. I'm airing on that. Yeah. The zoo said on Saturday they deny the charge, adding that the temperatures that day were somewhere near 40 degrees Celsius and a person wearing a suit would not be able to tolerate such extreme heat inside a suit for that long. Now, despite this, some people continue to believe that the black bear was a human in a costume. Commenters on the video say its posture is more upright than humans. Bear's forelimbs can't spread out to the sides. It's undoubtedly a human being. And this isn't the first time that a zoo in China has grabbed headlines for eyebrow-raising exhibits. See, back in 2019, the Yangcheng Wildlife Animal World in Changzhou, an eastern city in China's uh, Jiangsu province, which I, again, apologize for butchering all those words, sparked a controversy of its own after asking its workers to dress up as gorillas inside an exhibit. The bizarre sight of two zookeepers jumping around in gorilla enclosures in full-body costumes was spotted by a parent. Now, the zoo defended itself in saying that the human gorillas were a special program designed to entertain tourists on April Fool's Day. 
It added that it hadn't expected for arrangements to cause misunderstandings from visitors. So basically, we're not the idiots, you're the idiots. And then back in 2013, CNN reported that a zoo in Lue Hanan tried to pass off a large hairy dog as a lion. A visitor in Old Beijing Youth Daily said that when she and her son were approached um, by the lion in the cage, it was supposed to be an African lion, but they were greeted with a bark instead of a roar. The furry beast turned out to be a Tibetan mastiff. Other animals in the park were similarly mislabeled at the Beijing Youth Daily. I'm sorry, reported by the Beijing Youth Daily with another dog in a wolf cage and a white fox on display in a leopard enclosure. I'm going to uh, I'm going to help them out on on, on this. So okay. Tibetan Mastiff wasn't a wasn't a mislabel. It it didn't read lion. It's a mistranslation of will eat lion because those fucking dogs dude, <laughs> they are the one of the largest dogs in the world. And um they are bred to take on um basically god itself <laughs> up in the mountains to keep the livestock alive. Uh-huh. So I mean this is like a three three hundred pound has a lion mane, like you know what? A lion would shit itself. A lion would feel as vulnerable as I did naked in the bathroom with wasp if it came face to face with the Tibetan <laughs> Mastiff. So it will eat that fucking lion. Look at this dog. And that's why they have it in a zoo because it is a specimen of just mm-hmm. like it's the fucking Hercules of dogs. That's that's all that is. So you know he what? It's like a food dog, man. Just a big yeah. old beast. Yeah. Yeah. Now the, the guy <laughs> with the wrinkly ass and the bear suit, dude, fuck you, China. Come on, do better. Well, I reached out to our friends Aaron and Patty, who are both zoologists, and Aaron uh, specifically works with bears. And I said, does this look or act like a real bear to either of you? I sent the video, and Aaron said, yep, that's how sun bears act. And I said, so it's not a guy in a bear suit? And she said, no, the super vertical stance for long periods of time most likely is developed behavior from begging for people to throw junk food into the enclosure. 100% that is a sun bear. And I said, well, the arm movements are really sporadic, which made me say, hmm. And she said, yep, also, if you've ever been up close to a sun bear, you'd know right away that is exactly what that is. So then I, like everybody else, said, what about that saggy little wrinkly butt? And she said, well, when they stand vertically like that, yes, the skin does bunch up. She said also they're very small, about the size of a human, you know, maybe 100 to 150 pounds. So she said definitely in this case, it is actually a sun bear. They're just very thin and lanky, much like a human wearing a bear suit. Well, for the final news story of the night, folks, speaking of dogs and people in animal suits, a dog lover who has recently achieved Internet fame for his desire to become an animal has taken his first steps outside, being dressed head to toe in a bespoke collie costume worth more than about $15,000 US. The guy's known only as Toko, a man who spent 2 million yen on a lifelike costume to fulfill his lifelong fantasy of becoming an animal. In some of his most recent recent YouTube updates, to his almost 30,000 YouTube subscribers, Toko was seen playing in his backyard on all fours and attempting to perform tricks in exchange for fake dog food. 
He's now ventured outside into the world to meet other people and animals for the first time wearing the full costume. In a pair of surreal videos posted to his YouTube channel, he said, I want to be an animal. You can first see him being taken out into public while wearing a walking leash. Later, he can be seen sniffing at other dogs in a park before rolling around on the floor. Now, so far, his antics seem pretty well received by passerbys and other dogs who seem to be inquisitive above all else. But despite having built a cult following, Toko is not yet ready to take off the mask. He said, ever since I was a small child, I wanted to be an animal. I think it's a desire to transform. I've thought about it since I can remember. Now, the dog lover has said he's hidden his identity and his human face from the world because he doesn't want to be judged by people he knows. I don't want my hobbies to be known, especially by the people I work with. They think it's weird and I want to be a dog. For the same reason why I can't show my real face. Now, late last year... Toko told the Mirror that he still not built up enough courage to tell some of his closest friends about the hobby. He said, I rarely tell my friends because I'm afraid they'll think I'm weird. My friends and family seem very surprised to learn that I became an animal. He says he just simply enjoys doing things that only dogs can do. Now, he says in the first videos and his first outings in the public, he's wearing a leash because he wants people who pass by to see him but not be scared. Also, he's very nervous for, in fact, being out in public. Do you remember your dreams from when you were little? You want to be a hero or a wizard? Well, Toko went to a company called Zapet, who's known for making costumes for TV commercials and films, and dropped a whopping 15709 American dollars. Jesus! So, yeah. But I mean, look, you know, I spent stupid amounts of money getting autographs. Um, I've got all sorts of dumb stuff. This really awesome Muckman and Joe Eyeball action figure that I spent too much on. Um, this Boglin. I spend money on dumb shit, too. So, I mean, you know what? This guy isn't hurting anybody. Uh, he's leaving kids alone, so fuck it. Go drop 15k in a dog costume. Yeah, you know, I'll 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 uh, I'll give him some s support on this because I watched that episode of My Strange Addiction one time, mm -hmm. and there was a I don't remember her name, so it's not like I can trash talk her or anything, but she wanted to be a horse, and she thought she was mm -hmm. a horse, so she oh went the to... pony play episode yes, and so but. All she would do is put on, like, fake pony ears and then just have her boyfriend put, like, uh, the horse bit in her mouth. And then she would just, like, fake prance around the yard and, like, I'm a horse. I'm a horse. <laughs> At least this fucking guy is, like, full-blown into it. Like, dude, mm -hmm. hell yeah. Do what you love. Like, way to bring your A game because there are people out there that fucking bring their F game on it and fucking fail. Like that, <laughs> like that lady off My Strange Addiction. So I'm just yep. saying, like, you know what would have, like, you know what would have sold me not to make fun of that person? Had she got, like, one of, like, some type of, like, half animatronic fake scimitar suit, and then she wore that to where, like, the back half was, like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like, uh, what, what do you what do you call like it? A like sawhorse a, on wheels? Like a sawhorse on wheels or, like, you know, like a Muppet, <laughs> like, uh, you know, where, like, she could control the back legs oh, yeah. with the movement from her front legs. But she looked like a fucking centaur. I would have been like, girl, do uh -huh. you, boo? That's cool. But no, <laughs> you put on just a fucking headband with ears and be like, I'm a horse. This guy don't give him shit because he dropped 15K on a fucking costume so that he looks like a fucking dog. Like, 
that's dedicate that's dedication. It looks more convincing to me than the sun bear for sure. So I mean, yeah, I, I, the jury's the jury's still out on that. I mean, uh-oh. what? Because we only have one zoo expert in our group of friends who are like, hey, give me the four one one. Like, I don't know. Did she like? Fo- did she run that through a Photoshop program and just like? do all the detective work and all the ins and outs because even Lazarus said, bro, look at the fucking snout on that thing. There's something off about that bear. I, I think uh, I think we need to do a little more detective work. Like maybe, maybe. That, ch- that Chinese guy spent $20,000 on an authentic sun bear suit just enough to fake you because it does look like a wrinkly ass human. They're like, dude, the fucking world will never know. I think there's more to it. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you might not be wrong. Any hoozle, Toko said using a collie, he wanted to go with a long-haired dog that can mislead the human figure. Thus, the final product took 40 days and multiple revisions to create. But the spokesperson said they modeled it after a collie dog to reproduce the appearance of a real dog walking on four legs. The point is that the skeleton of a dog can be reproduced on the skeleton of a human. Since the structure of the skeleton is very different, we spend a lot of time studying how to make it look like a dog. In addition, we collect photographs taken from various angles so that the beautiful coat of the collie can be reproduced and devised so it will look like a coat that flows naturally. Toko said he wears sandals to protect his feet and the bottom of the costume from getting dirty after spending such a large amount of money. Now his viral videos have attracted like-minded fans with one person saying, you inspire us to fulfill our dreams too. Another said, I hope I become the animal I want to be as well. You are an inspiration to us. Aw. Aw. So look at that, folks. How I wove those stories together. Mm-mm-mm. I wonder if he uh, gets to do a doggy style, if you know what I mean. I've- See, it was wholesome until you came in the room. Yep. <laughs> the pony play episode, I think, was very sexual. In this case, to our knowledge, this dude just wants to be a pup. Just run around, sniff a few butts. Well, maybe it is sexual. Uh, you know, who knows? Yeah. Shifting gears to our main story. For tonight's show, we're diving back into the book Borderlands by author Michael Dash and also Linda S. Godfrey's I Know What I Saw. And we're moving our attention to the subject of cryptids. But here's what's interesting. When we say the word cryptid, while most of us instantly think about Bigfoot, Mothman, and the Loch Ness Monster and so on, the term itself, of course, refers to more than just hairy monsters and hidden sea creatures. The term cryptid actually refers to something as simple as an animal that has been claimed to exist but never proven to be real. And thus, they don't necessarily have to be supernatural, mythical, or even all that strange. Cryptids can simply be animals that were thought to be extinct or even animals that simply don't belong to a specific region and thus are just misidentified. So on tonight's episode, we're going to look into what exactly is a cryptid, what are some great examples of classic non-Bigfoot or Nessie-esque cryptids? And where does the line blur between billy goats that don't belong and giant man-eating beasts? And so we'll start off with a few animals that don't belong. But don't worry, because we'll definitely take things back to a supernatural turn. But also, we'll toe the line of science as well. And we're going to spend much of the episode discussing something that I didn't really care much about to begin with, but now think is fascinating... And that's cats. 
But stay with us here because we're not talking about just normal docile cats that live in your house, but instead big cats, phantom cats to be precise. So take it away, Preston. From the vast skies above America to the suffocating depths of the Amazonian jungle, from outer space to the mysterious depths of the ocean, there exists a realm where encounters with extraterrestrial spacecrafts and unknown creatures occur. The contrast between ufology and cryptozoology is truly striking. While ufology delves into the realm of the extraordinary and fantastical, cryptozoology focuses on the study of creatures that are almost within the realm of acceptance. So not quite 100% <laughs> bullshit. Only like 40% bullshit. And I like those odds. Uh-huh. Aha! <laughs> in fact, it deals with the seemingly mundane and ordinary. It is widely acknowledged by biologists that there are still thousands of species awaiting identification, classification, and naming. The only missing piece is concrete physical evidence, which should be relatively easier to obtain on Earth compared to the elusive fragments of crash saucers. Unless you're Mike, or is it Robert Bigelow, Mike Bigelow. Bob that Bigelow, guy, yeah. Yeah, that guy seems to get fucking crass spaceship pieces left and right from the U.S. government. Dick. Yeah. <laughs> In the summer of 1994, a tortoise hunter was exploring the Ketre watershed, a mountainous region on the border between Vietnam and Laos. During his expedition, he stumbled upon something unexpected, a small goat-like creature that he had never seen before. Fucking goat man, man. Determined to capture it, the hunter set his dogs <laughs> on the animal and successfully caught it. That's why uh, we'll never find Bigfoot, because we're just going to fucking murder it. Like, we got him. Got the evidence. He's dead, though. Last one. <laughs> to his surprise, it turned out to be a female calf, no more than five months old, and standing at a height of two feet to the shoulder. However, it was not a goat. It was a living specimen of a Saula, or Vuquang's ox, a species that had only been identified two years prior through the discovery of skulls and antlers in a nearby nature reserve. This elusive creature remained unknown to zoologists in the wild until its rediscovery in 1994. The Vuquang ox is just one of a handful of large mammals discovered and classified this century. However, the Ketre region has continued to reveal astonishing surprises in the field of zoological research over the past four years. Within this small area of near virgin forests, of new species of moonjack deer have been found, along with two previously unknown bird species, a new type of fish, and not to mention an unidentified tortoise has also been encountered, much to the delight of tortoise enthusiasts. Zoologists have not witnessed such a wealth of novelty in over a century. So new species are constantly being discovered, with several hundred being identified every single year. And while the majority of these discoveries pertain to insects and fish, a fair number involve reptiles, amphibians, and birds. But only a handful of new mammal species are found. And among them, none are as large as the Vuquang ox, which, despite its name, is not actually an ox, but rather a, l- a relative to the oryx. Each new discovery serves as a reminder that our understanding of the animal kingdom is far from complete. 
It also serves as an encouragement to the dedicated group of cryptozoologists who believe that even the most spectacular findings are yet to be made. However, the challenge lies in the fact that the majority of cryptozoologists are not particularly interested in classifying new variations of beetles or rediscovering fossil fish. Instead, they are driven by the pursuit of a larger game animals that have eluded capture and identification for centuries. Examples of such elusive creatures include lake monsters, ape men, sea serpents, and giant birds. Fuck yeah, man. I missed my calling. I should have been a cryptozoologist. (laughs) My fucking dick is hard just by all of that list right there. Fuck yeah, ape men. Let's get at it. Sea serpents. Okay, not, not, you know, not the messy nessie. Fuck the Loch Ness monster, but other sea serpents. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. I'm game. Remember that like a couple months ago? When I sent you that the, those pictures from the, the it was like a like sixteen eighty or seventeen twenty book of uh, the elusive sea monsters that Danish uh, sailors were afraid of, and it was like you know the the sea cow, oh, yeah, yeah, like dude, fucking all yep. those, like dude, sign me up, let's go, let's let's go get them, yeah, yeah. These cryptozoologists firmly believe in the existence of these beasts, which sets them apart from their more conventional colleagues. In fact, cryptozoologists engage in three main fields of study. The first field involves investigating known species that unexpectedly appear in habitats that are foreign to them. These creatures are commonly referred to as out-of-place animals, and surprisingly, they are quite common. One notable example is sightings of big cats roaming the moorlands of Britain, Germany, France, Australia, and the United States in the recent decades. However, there are even more exotic animals at large. For instance, porcupines and uh, the Devon wild boar can be found in their, in their non-native countries, and there are r- rumors of wolverines <laughs> loose in England. The second field of study focuses on animals that are presumed to be extinct but may still survive in remote corners of the world. Cryptozoologists draw inspiration from these uh, rediscoveries of the coelanth, a prehistoric fish that was thought to have gone extinct 65 million years ago, yet it was found off the coast of South Africa back in 1938. In more recent years, expeditions have been launched in search of giant sloths in South American rainforests and living dinosaurs in the jungles of the Congo. However, these endeavors have yet to provide irrefutable proof of the existence of such elusive creatures. So, uh, Lazarus, your comment at Camels in Western USA, we actually, uh, we covered that on episode 170, 174, 175. So, what had actually happened, the, 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 as we were, doing westward expansion and we were trying to move supplies across Arizona and New Mexico we were finding that pack mules and horses couldn't handle the heat so somebody's like fuck them let's bring them in from the desert and so they went over to Saudi Arabia and they brought all these camels over by like cargo plane unloaded them Mm -hmm. uh, got them out there we're loading them up and they realized the camels are fucking assholes and they're like (laughs) well the civil war happened and uh, we don't give a fucking shit about this anymore so just go ahead and cut them loose and let them in the wild and let mother nature take its course and uh they got a small breeding populations of wild camels out in the uh united states desert so there you go Hmm, look at that 
Yeah. Well, I know that you know the tale, but for everybody else listening, they might not know the tale. So uh, I'm just <laughs> sharing the knowledge, baby. Sharing the knowledge. Yeah. Live TV, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Lastly, and perhaps most captivating of all, cryptozoologists have compiled accounts of various large creatures that seemingly exist but remain unrecognized by mainstream science. One notable fi- figure in this field in uh, Bernard Hoovmans, a Belgian zoologist who has uh, devoted himself to the study of these hidden animals. And since the 1950s, a catalog of over 300 species have been compiled, all of which are still awaiting discovery. These range from unknown tapers to long-necked seals. While some of these creatures may indeed exist, others will likely remain elusive, despite being seen and sought after for many years. It's intriguing that there are far more sightings of least likely quarries, such as lake monsters and giant ape men, compared to the more plausible creatures in this menagerie. Understanding why this is, in this case, may hold up a key to com- comprehending the entire subject of cryptozoology. Now, before we go on, here's a quick list of common animals that were once thought to be cryptids themselves, just to kind of shine a light on the idea here. Unicorns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unicorns. I was thinking of real animals, like the chameleon. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The unicorn is a real animal because we discovered that rhino, that uh, woolly mammoth rhino uh, from the Pleistocene mm-hmm. era, and it was fucking huge, mm-hmm. and it had like a giant ho- horn, and so scientists are like, boom, there's your fucking unicorn. Because it was a rhino uh, okay, with a sorry, horn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like on a, like uh, Spider-Man, you know, the rhino had it on its forehead instead of on mm-hmm. the end of its snout. And it was a big motherfucker, and you could ride it. So Okay, again, the more you know. <laughs> well, I'm here. I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry, continue. I, however, was... Okay, I will. I was referencing the Komodo dragon until 1910. Stories of a giant lizard on the island of Komodo in Indonesia were laughed at by respectable scientists. However, when Lieutenant Sten von Hansbroek caught and killed one, things suddenly changed. You also have the platypus, which if anybody can, you know, just imagine what those look like. Holy shit. A beaver and a duck had a baby. Holy cow. But no, that's that's actual real, folks. We know this. A duck and an otter and a beaver put together makes a platypus. And you have the okapi, also known as the forest giraffe. The okapi was a blend of a zebra, a donkey, a deer, and an antelope in one gigantic gangbang. Yet the closest genetic link is a giraffe. However, Europeans in the 18th and 19th century called this animal the African unicorn, Preston. And then, of course, in 1901, Sir Harry Johnson found an Okapi skeleton and skin and sent it to the British Museum. Um, I think we all might know this one, but I threw it in there. Gorillas. Of course, gorillas were first thought to be cryptids as well, kind of like, you know, Bigfoot himself. The first attributed sighting of a gorilla by a non-African was made in the 5th century BC by Greek explorer Hanno. Now, most scientists today believe that Hanno was describing either a chimpanzee or a baboon from his account. However, interpreters called the creature that he saw a gorilla. Anyway, of course, Andrew Patel recounted seeing a human-like monster during his visit every morning after he left on his explorations. Anyway, gorillas remained cryptids until 1847. We also have the giant squid, of course, we thought was long extinct, but then discovered again between 2004-2006. 
kangaroos, of course. No one believed about those uh, up until about 1499. Then later on in 1629, Francisco Pelascoret captured a live kangaroo, but unfortunately it died on his way back to France. However, it was still evidence that it lived. And nobody believed a dingo could take a lady's baby, but it in fact did. <laughs> a dingo took it my baby. Did. It indeed did. But that just goes to show, folks, a lot of common animals that we know and love today were once thought to be cryptids themselves. But anyway, on this episode, we're wanting to talk primarily about one specific creature. So, Preston, why don't you just go ahead and jump right in, buddy? Yep. But one specific cryptozoological mystery that, that certainly lacks evidence is the presence of big cats, also known around the cryptid circle as phantom cats. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Phantom cats. The, the, the reverb, do you hear it? Is it there? I like it. Yep. Yeah. Sounds very professional. Now, I got to add here, too, that phantom cats are also known in the cryptid world as ABCs, or alien big cats, thought to potentially be dropped off by UFOs into parts where they don't quite belong. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, phantom cats roaming the British countryside. In the 1990s, sightings of these cats multiplied to the point to where there are now over 300 re reported each year. Most sightings occur at a relative, relatively long range, with witnesses describing a big black cat approximately the size of a Labrador in the middle distance. If the animal becomes aware of being observed, it quickly flees. Occasionally, these reports are accompanied by the discovery of evacerated sheep carcasses in the farmer's field or hazy photographs and short video sequences captured on camcorders. However, encounters at close range are infrequent but much more alarming. Shortly after midnight on October 26, 1993, a big cat attacked 37-year-old Jane Fuller while she was out walking her dog on the Bodman Moor. She was temporarily stunned by the incident. The authorities recovered the remains of two sheep the next day, one of them disemboweled and the other decapitated, found in the adjoining field. Two months later, a veterinary lecturer named Sally Dyke ventured into the Welsh marshes with her husband Nick in search of the beast of Ink Barrow, a big cat that had been sighted more than 30 times in the previous four years. The couple laid bait for the creature among the graves at St. Peter's and returned to the churchyard the next evening. As they made their way back toward the bait, Nick, who was in the lead, accidentally stepped on the big cat's tail. Startled, <laughs> the animal leapt and got the fuck out of there and tore off down the path. Finding Sally blocking its way, the cat took a swipe at her. One blow caught her below the ribs, penetrating her wax jacket and several other layers of clothing, knocking her aside. The combination of darkness and extreme surprise meant that neither could positively identify their assailant beyond saying that it was black and very large. However, Sally had claw marks to show that the animal was no figment of the imagination. The 35-inch wounds across the right side of her ribs, which bled profusely, were still visible four months later. Holy fuck. That's like being in a Jurassic Park movie, 
That wasn't a black cat. That was a fucking T-Rex, man, or a velociraptor. <laughs> it guttered her like a fish. In another sighting from March 2003 near Lancaster, England, between Cumbria and Lincolnshire, two motorists along the M6 motorway saw the large black feline coursing rapidly across an open field at about 3.45 p.m. in the afternoon. One of the motorists said... I saw a big black thing and thought, that looks unusual. Then suddenly it started pounding up a hill faster than I've ever seen any animal running. It had huge, huge strides. It was at least twice as big as a black Labrador and was very muscular. There's no way you could mistake it for a domestic animal. The woman, age 38, notified Terry Hooper, a field naturalist in the UK Police Force's wildlife consultant, who at the time kept logs of such incidents. Hooper, who was also a published uh, scientist who had published several scientific papers on wildlife and history, informed the witness that someone else had also very recently spotted what sounded like the same animal while they were driving along the highway, and that two more sightings of a large black great cat had occupied in nearby Kendall not long before that. Now, he speculated that the warm spring weather was drawing them from their lairs, since black panther-like creatures had previously been seen in three other locations as well. Hooper goes on to say that with so many reports reaching his desk, he felt that creatures like this must be living in the area for some considerable amount of time in order to have achieved such a population and he stated that police did have evidence such as sightings, photographs, plaster casts of tracks, livestock deaths where it was suspected to be caused by large cats like a puma, which is why they got in touch with him in the first place. There's also several reports of big cats and colonies of big cats currently hunting in the British Isles. Kings Bridgewater has a fin tiger. Cornwall has the beasts of Bodom and Eggsmoor. Oh, sorry, Exmoor County, Durham, has the Durham Puma, and Nottinghamshire has the Nottingham Lion. Some of these creatures are seen more or less regularly, while others are only spotted once or twice for a few months before vanishing back into the undergrowth, never to be seen again. But all in all, there have been reports of out-of-place big cats with varying descriptions in 730 counties across England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland alone. But it doesn't mm -hmm. stop there. The European Big Cat Adventures... Oh, man, I really fucked that up. I've had too much to drink all <laughs> Yeah. The European Big Cat Adventures don't stop there. No, no, because in Germany, 1988, a young puma was reported in the Zara... The police in Darmstadt even issued warning about a dangerous animal lurking in the nearby forest of the Oldenwald. People from the village of Firth and Steinbach claimed to have seen a black panther. At first, the police took these sightings seriously, but then so many reports piled up that they started to question the sanity of the eyewitnesses. Talk about a cat catastrophe. Now... Assuming that the uh, colonies, <laughs> assuming that the colonies of big cats or even individual ones roam the woodlands of a, a country like Great Britain, comes with its own set of problems. Uh, witnesses, especially city dwellers, tend to exaggerate the size of animals they see. 
This can uh, lead to some hilarious situations, like in Winchmore Hill, London, where eight eyewitnesses, this is really taking me back to our uh, news article tonight about was it a sun bear or was it a guy in a fucking bear suit? <laughs> yeah. This can lead some I uh but where 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 was I? Uh oh yeah, Winchmore Hill, London, where eight eyewitnesses independently called the police to report a stalking lioness. The police sent officers with megaphone, helicopters buzzing overhead, <laughs> and even marks yeah, even marksmen's armed with tranquilizer gun uh from the London Zoo. But guess what? It wasn't a fucking lion. It turned out to be Bilbo. <laughs> A large ginger tomcat sunning himself on a garden shed. Quite the ferocious beast, huh, Sean? <laughs> just tubby old Garfield just laying there getting his balls a little bit of sun. <laughs> Poor little fella. Yeah. Well, something I just thought about, too, was a story I read a while back about um, the Gippsland region of southeastern Victoria, Australia. Back in the American World War II, airmen brought cougars with them. Uh, as mascots and once the cats got to be a little bit too much to handle or when shit hit the fan allegedly these american soldiers just let the cougars go and release them out into the australian bush which also can be a pretty good explanation as to why we have these you know out of place phantom cats speaking of look at that cat growing out of my shoulder right oh now. shit man i Perfect think that's timing, a, yeah i think that's a based off the camera angle that's a fucking puma right there man you better go call looks, the like, looks to me like a shoulder puma yeah you better go get called the wildlife experts get him in just there. my asshole cat yeah but let's not dismiss all these big cat sightings in britain some of them are indeed real over the last decade pumas jungle cats and smaller leopards have been run over captured or even killed in the countryside from cornwall to Inverness shire and that doesn't even include the escapees from zoos and private collections. So the real question is not whether or not big cats are loose in the British countryside, but more where do they come from and how many of them are out there? Witnesses have even reported pairs of cats and their adorable little kittens. It seems these cats are not just visiting, but instead making themselves at home and even adapting to local climates. Talk about some real feline resilience. In the uh, United States, it seems uh, that the uh, natives, like cougars, have something uh, have some interesting roommates, lions and black panthers. Reports of out of place big cats go way back, at least to July 1917, when a butler named Thomas Gullet was attacked by what he claimed to be an African lioness at the Robert Allerton estate in Central Illinois. Later, a male lion was spotted nearby talk about a wild estate picture this sean in october okay. 1980 a scottish farmer named ted noble finally caught a full-grown puma in a trap set on his lands in the highlands yes i got that motherfucker that was eating my got sheep one. i got one and it seemed like the perfect solution for all the dead animals on his farm but upon closer examination this fearsome beast turned out to be a elderly, arthritic female puma who enjoyed a good tickle behind her ears. Talk Aww. about a sheep-stealing granny with a taste for adventure. All she wanted <laughs> was some lovin'. Uh, she would have got away with it, too, if it wasn't for you, your damn kids and your dog. 
Yeah. Now let's talk about the release of captive animals into the wild. The introduction of the Dangerous Wild Animal Act of 1976 made it quite challenging for people to keep large exotic animals as pets. Just ask Joe Exotic and all of those big cat people and all the problems that they have. They should be listening to this episode. <laughs> it was that bitch, I'm sure Carol Baskin. So, <laughs> some uh, sneaky individuals might have decided to set their troublesome big cats free in the British countryside. Can you imagine the chaos that ensued? These big caps that uh, have or huge appetites with a puma needing to devour the equivalent of five adult deer each week just to survive. And while it may seem like these mystery cats are feasting on thousands of sheep, there is actually little evidence to support that claim. So maybe they're just enjoying a nice cup of tea with the locals instead. <laughs> now, I mean, it's worth mentioning that in El Dorado, which is about like 30 miles, 30 minutes away from here, um, they have reports and actually have positively identified mountain lions, which are actually supposed to be kind of rare in our part of the U.S. as well. Yeah, so what's uh, interesting about the mountain lions in, in Kansas is um, mm -hmm. they actually – uh, because the railroad lines that are unused now, they the direction that they run, uh -huh. so they um, cut across Colorado into Kansas, down through, so Andover, Augusta, El Dorado, and they keep making the way. And so uh -huh. when the climates change and the mountain lions want to uh, migrate with the seasons, um, since the railroad tracks are no longer in use and are basically abandoned, uh, it creates a straight line of sight for them to travel out of the mountains safely, uh, migrate south, and then migrate back. And so, yes, there actually are fucking mountain lions in Kansas. Fucking non-believing Kansans. They're kind of like boxcar jumping yeah. hobos. <laughs> I, ha almost had to sh I almost had to shoot one the other day, and then it turned out to be my neighbor's fucking big tabby cat. But, you know, from a Just sunning itself on a shed. Yeah, sunning itself on a shed. <laughs> it looked at me when I rounded the corner with my 12-gauge uh, shotgun. It was like, whoa, what the fuck, buddy? The fuck? Uh, I didn't see I didn't I didn't see a no trespassing sign. I'm just uh I'm just chilling here on your shed. How about a scratch behind the ears? And I'm like, oh, damn, I would have felt bad for blowing you apart. Because this shotgun's way too big for your little ass. Just think, man, you, you plowed over one possum on accident. Man, if you, you know, accidentally shot a tabby cat, just think what Mother Nature would do to you then. Oh, dude, I'd be fucking full dead on. right now. Yeah, there'd be a be fucking, a, it'd like... It'd be a mass exodus. There'd be, a, there'd be, like, one of those black water Markinson sakes in my basement right now, and it'd just come up and bite <laughs> me in the feet, and I'd be like, just dead on the ground. And then a spider, Yep. one of those fucking, uh, you know, brown lacruces would just come up and just right in the forehead just to Did finish you call off the a job. Brown recruits. Uh, brown recruits. <laughs> You're close. We'll yeah. give you points. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like the cruise yeah. better. <laughs> well, anyway, folks, I promised a supernatural spin on things, so let's get into it. How about the mysterious Maishapishu? Up in Wisconsin, you'll probably find the best-known feline-like legendary creature, often found in Native American lore known as the Water Panther, a.k.a. the Maishapishu. Now, spellings of the name vary so wildly that I'm going to use the simpler term, Water Panther, or as Lazarus refers to it as, the Underwater Panther, when I can. The traditional being is known 
to be from Canada throughout much of the northern half of the U.S. and probably beyond, according to nativelanguages.org. The water panther is also known as the great lynx, the water lynx, the night panther, macha matau, the underground panther, and the underneath panther. This nightmare of a monster is said to be something like a cross between a cougar and a dragon. Water panthers are also dangerous monsters that live in deep water and cause men and women to oftentimes drown. The legend of some of these tribes describing water panthers as the size of a real lynx or a mountain lion is terrifying. While in others, though, the beast can grow to enormous sizes. Water panthers have very long prehensile tails, which are often said to be made of copper. They're covered in fur with horns of a deer atop their head and sharp sawtooth-like spines that stick out of their back. Oh, fuck that. That sounds like one of them kindergarten drawings where you ask your kids, what do you think uh, He-Man's Battle Cat looks like? Okay, Dad, let me get out my crown here. Uh, see, here, here's the armor made in copper, and I drew some fur on it, and I gave it fucking spikes sticking out of its spine so it can get the bad guys. And, uh, yep. it's, got the, it's got the horns of a deer, because I, I watched Bambi last week, and I really like deers, Dad. Fucking kindergarten <laughs> art bullshit. Get out of here with that. Well, shifting from the Masters of the Universe over to North Carolina, we have the Beast of Bladenboro, a creature responsible for the bizarre series of animal deaths amongst Bladenboro, North Carolina, back in the winter of 1953 all the way to 1954. This thing terrorized locals for over a year. Now, according to witnesses and trackers, it was likely just a wildcat species, but its identity was ultimately not definitively confirmed. But according to reports, the animal commonly crushed or decapitated its animal victims, which were mostly dogs. The Beast of Bladenboro was described as about four and a half feet long, two feet tall, and right around 150 pounds. It was covered with bushy, long, dark brown fur and a tail that was about 14 inches long. The beast itself resembled that of a bear, possibly a panther, but with a distinct feline face, sometimes said to be accompanied by a smaller creature, perhaps a cub, that would oftentimes be found running beside it. It's said that it's deathly quiet, save for a bizarre, high-pitched cry that would sound like that of a human baby crying off in the distance, which again is one of those common tropes of a lot of paranormal creatures. The first animal deaths possibly related to the Beast of Bladenboro were reported back on December 29, 1953. Witnesses described the creature as being sleek, black, and about five feet long, which killed a dog in Clarkston, North Carolina, approximately eight miles from Bladenboro. Then on December 31, 1953, two more dogs belonging to a resident of Bladenboro were found dead with a significant amount of blood near their kennels. The owner reported the dogs were, quote, torn into ribbons and crushed. The two dogs' owner, Johnny Voss, said, Yeah, my dogs put up a good fight. I mean, there was blood all over the porch, big puddles of it. God damn. And then there was a pool of saliva on the porch. It killed one dog at 1030 and left it lying there. My dad wrapped the dog up in a blanket. That can't. That thing came back around and got that dog. 
and nobody's seen that dog since. I tell you what, I, I drew a, a picture of it with uh, spikes and shit on its tail and put it up <laughs> on my refrigerator if anybody like to see what you know what a photo of the suspect looks like. I used a green crown. Anyways, at one thirty in the morning, it came back and killed the other dog and took off with it. And we, we found it three days later in the hedgerow. Uh, uh, the top of one of the dog's head was torn off, and its body was crushed and wet like it had been in the thing's mouth. And the other dog didn't have a jaw. It was torn off, too. Jesus, man. Ooh. The following day on January 1st, 1954, two more dogs were found dead at Bladenboro Farm and one later on the night of January 2nd. A farmer reported that that dog had been killed as well. Two more dogs were found dead on January 3rd, 1954. An autopsy was performed on one of the dogs, and it was reported that there wasn't more than two to three drops of blood left in the entire body. The victim's bottom lip had been broken open, and his jawbone had been smashed back into its mouth. Further deaths were reported in the subsequent days. On the night of January 5th, 1954, a pet rabbit was found, cleanly decapitated and still warm. Then on January 7th, another dead dog was found in a pasture near Bladenboro Swamp. A goat was also reported to have died with its head completely flattened. This thing is just pissed, just viciously attacking stuff, dude. Ripping jaws off, smashing heads. Oh, sweet Christmas. Pushing jaws into the mouths. A group of hunters from Wilmington spent the night tracking the creature for three miles around the swampland. According to them, the tracks showed claws that were at least one inch long. The beast circling movement suggested it might have been trying to protect an offspring or a mate nearby. On January 5th, the beast was witnessed attacking a dog, which ran away and was not found. The tracks were seen along the creek bank near one of the attack sites. There were two sets of prints, one being smaller. Later that day, in an early evening, another resident described a big mountain lion near some dogs three houses down. The creature ran toward her, but then turned around and fled once she screamed. Outside her home, the tracks left in a dirt road were bigger than a silver dollar, according to Police Chief Forez. A young boy named Dalton Norton reported seeing what he called a big cat on January 6th, that made a noise like a baby crying that laid on his front porch until leaving. On January 11th, two cars were stopped for an animal reported to be four feet long. One of the men in the cars was quoted in saying the animal had a runty-looking set of ears and was brownish and tabby. But try as they might, no one ever killed or retrieved a body that would definitively identify just what exactly the beast of Bladenboro was. And up next now, we have the cautionary tale of the cactus cat, which is generally described as being a bobcat-like creature covered in hair-like thorns with a particularly long spines. Sorry, with particularly, <laughs> with particularly long spines extending from its legs and its armored branching tail. The front half is a cat and the back half <laughs> is a cactus, and that's why we call it a cactus cat, y'all. It's going to fuck you up. It's like a little porcupine, but it's a cat. Meow. <laughs> the creature has a branching tail, so imagine like a cat o' nine tails that's also a cactus. 
The creature was said to use the spines on its tail to slash open cactuses at night, allowing the juice to run from other plants. On later nights, the creature would then return, said to drink the now-fermented juice. Then the drunken creature so this, said to yeah, howl. Yeah, this cat's an alcoholic. Uh, I like it. <laughs> I like it. The then drunken creature is said to howl throughout the night. The cactus cat is a very hostile creature towards any other animal in the territory. Animals that cross paths with the cactus cat often end up with large puncture wounds and sometimes fatal injuries. It's a desert predator said to avoid harsh heat. So they'd carve out the inside of a cactus and sleep throughout the day. It would eat the bugs and juice of the cactus to keep hydrated and nourished. They're said to be immune to scorpion venom and oftentimes will hunt down scorpions to eat throughout the night. Cactus cats are social animals oftentimes mating for life. They're said to live about 20 to 30 years. Holy shit. Before and during mating season, the male felines will break open a large saguaro cactus and let the smell attract females to their location. Oftentimes, though, two females might be attracted to the same saguaro, and a fight would ensue. The fight usually ends in one of them getting brutally spiked or stabbed to death. The winning female then would meet with the male and drink cactus juice, get completely tits up. The pair would then get drunk and produce a litter of kittens within the next few weeks. Now to round things out, folks, why not end on one of our favorite things on the podcast? A little yokai action. The Bacchanico. The Bacchanico, a.k.a. monster cat or ghost cat, can be found throughout towns and cities. It's said to be carnivorous, eating fish, birds, small cats, other animals, and occasionally even a human being. Now, the Bacchanico is a feral or domestic cat that can be found all over Japan, so it's not just one, it's a ton. They're said to be found in houses as pets, on farms as exterminators, or in cities and towns as strays. Like many of Japan's animals, when cats live to be a ripe old age, they then develop supernatural powers and transform into yokai. The Bakaniku begin their supernatural life looking almost identical to an ordinary house cat, but soon they begin to walk about on their hind legs. As they age, their powers increase and they can grow larger than originally expected, up to the size of a full-grown human. The Bakaniku possess great shape-shifting abilities and can disguise themselves as a smaller cat or even humans, sometimes even murdering and eating their masters and assuming their physical identity. Many Bakaniku learn to speak human languages and can disguise themselves, and while in disguise, they're known to dress up as humans who oftentimes wear towels wrapped around their heads. In this form, the Bakaniku dance around merrily. And while this sounds frivolous and even kind of cute, Bakaniku are said to be a ginormous menace to any house they live in or near. They can eat things that are much bigger than they are by unhinging their jaws and can even consume poisonous things without any difficulty. If they don't directly kill their owners, they can bring down a great curse and misfortune. They can summon ghostly fireballs and are known to accidentally start house fires, their tails acting like torches, igniting any flammable material in the house. But here's one of the most creepy parts of all. The Bakaniku also have the disturbing ability to reanimate fresh corpses 
and used them like meat puppets in their own nefarious purposes. I'm starting to kind of look over my shoulder at that guy back there who's looking yeah. at his butt. That it, that uh, that uh, interdimensional cable show on Rick and Morty, where uh, the old, <laughs> yeah, the, old yeah. l- the lady died and the cats re like you know try to reanimate the course and they're like mm-hmm. make that guy's like oh Mrs. Jones and he's like I love the way you smell it's so musty and earthy and that's what that reminds me of. All right, I'm gonna <laughs> stop talking now. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Bakuniku can come into being as a result of numerous things, but most commonly, these reasons are simply being a long-lived feline, 13 years or older. So if you happen to notice your cat's growing abnormally large, or the tail tends to grow a little longer than you remember, you might yourself be in the uh, companionship of a Bakuniku. Now, the older and wiser a cat gets, and the longer the tail becomes the more powerful they get. So it's often believed by many Asian cultures that bobbing a cat's tail at an early age might prevent them from transforming into the dreaded yokai. Maybe that's why my brother's cat is such an asshole. She acts all sweet when I go over there. She's like, you know, pick me up, hold me like a baby, scratch my belly, Mm -hmm. and then fucking claws and fangs, and then she tries to rip me apart, and then five minutes later she's like, nah, it's just playing. Go ahead and scratch my belly again. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> I decided I, I didn't want that. It sounds an awful lot like that jackass back there. Sully is the exact same way. And I also believe that he might just have a little bit of either just dumb luck or maybe some supernatural powers himself because um, basically our cat, right before we left for Vegas back in 2021, unbeknownst to us, ate a piece of streamer. Now, we didn't know what this was instantly, but we just noticed the day we got up to leave for Vegas, he was very lethargic and acted almost like he was kind of, you know, out of his mind. Normally, he's jumping in and out of suitcases and running around the house getting into shit, but this one specific time we're leaving for vacation, he kind of just laid there on the chair and watched us. Well, we went to Vegas for like three nights and four days, and while we were gone, uh, my sister-in-law took care of Soli, came over, gave him food and water, played with him for a little while. And she mentioned that each time she came over to check on him, he was getting more and more lethargic on the first day. The second day, he began puking all over the house. By the third day, he couldn't keep anything down besides water. So the more he ate, the more he just puked his guts out. His little poor little eyelids were sagging down. His eyes are a very pretty bright green. They were damn near like just straight gray. So we were making peace with the world on the third day that when we came home, we were going to have a dead cat, unfortunately. And as much crap as I talk on that little bastard, I do love him. But the fourth day, we packed up our bags, came home, and we were expecting to walk into a very stinky situation with a cat who probably had freshly passed away. Now, the thing here is, you're probably asking yourself, why didn't you just take it to the vet? Why didn't your sister-in-law take him to have, you know, surgery done or something? The problem with that ding-dong back there is he eats plastic like a billy goat. Walmart bags, plastic sacks, ribbon. He loves to eat tape off of presents, and then he will throw it up about half an hour later. Or he might actually get a chance to pass it and poop it out. So we thought if he ate something bad, which we knew he did, we would go get him, you know, uh, taken care of, have an operation, have it removed, stitch him back up, and the dum-dum would do it again probably the next day. So we come home. And this jackass is just stumbling around the house like he's just drunk or on some sort of good good. 
Um, we play with him. We make him comfortable. He'll drink tuna juice and he'll drink water, but he just can't hold solids down. So we knew he had an obstruction. We take care of him, play with him, go to bed, wake up the next morning. Now we're on like day five and we're like, okay, Soli is going to be dead. Go out in the living room and he's just kind of sitting there just like, hey, dude, where's my car? I go to work. Shayla goes to work. I come home on lunch again, kind of preparing for what I'm about to find. This guy meets me at the door, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, just purring, rubbing himself all over me. And I'm just like, oh, my God, you're okay. What's going on? Now, I had a couple pairs of gloves in the drawer. I put on two pairs of rubber gloves, go over to his litter box, and I fish out what looks like, appropriately, a melted king-size, you know, Tootsie Roll. So I put it in a baggie, and I put it outside, take off my gloves, wash my hands, go back to work. I come home that night, I put on two more pairs of gloves, get a bowl of hot water, and I start to go into exploratory mode, and I drop this king-size Tootsie Roll into this bowl, uh, you know, bowl of hot water. I pull out two six-inch pieces of Mylar ribbon, right? So now where are we pressing with simple math? We're at one foot. Then I pull out another five-foot-long whole piece of Mylar streamer. How this cat managed to shit all of that out is beyond me, my wife, and our vet. This little bastard had eaten a six-foot piece of Mylar ribbon that was hanging down from a uh, doorstop hanger that we had used for our niece's birthday party the day before we left for Vegas. Somehow, it was obstructing his bowels. He is still able to keep water down, thus stay alive, and he got a little bit of nutrients each time he ate food before he puked it back up. Somehow, he managed to pass the entire thing out. And wouldn't you know it, he started eating plastic again about two days later. But when I talked to the vet, I said, here's what's weird, Doc. He ate a piece of metallic purple mylar ribbon. What I found was translucent green ribbon. And the vet's like, dude, that's why your cat was so completely stoned out of his mind and probably halfway comfortable is because the mylar paint that was in that, the dye, leached into his system and probably just made him stoned off of his gourd. So he was just completely out of it the entire time until he took that dump. And then all of a sudden, bada boom, bada bing, he's bright eyed, bushy tailed. And it's been about uh, almost two years uh, since that incident happened. And lo and behold, behind me, uh, now he's sleeping. But I'm pretty sure that I got a Bacaniku. I'll buy it. I'll... <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's plenty of times he should have met the end of his days and managed to survive. So I'm thankful for that. Anywho, Preston, why don't we wind down this episode while you finish things off with a few more bizarre cases of animals that don't belong, which will kind of springboard us into the next episode. And, uh, Fire Pixie... Um... That's uh, Sean's way of saying his hobby, instead of dressing up like a dog or you know, <laughs> pony play, is Sean has a fetish with cat poop that he likes to put it in a bowl of hot water. It's like, what am I going to get? It's like uh, when we were kids and we had those track deck <laughs> monsters, you soak them in hot water and you pull out a surprise. <laughs> like, oh, right. no. I see, dog. You it's cool. You know, yeah. we're friends. No, you I'm, just I'm not to... judging you. I'm not... No, it's fine. <laughs> no? no, imagine making a hot tea and then just putting a cat turd in it, because that's what it smelled like. And I spent most of the time doing that exploratory uh, work trying not to throw up. It was fucking disgusting. Mm. Mm. Anyways, mm. let's shift our focus to the crocodile conundrum. 
Believe it or not, crocodiles have been discovered in the most unexpected places. In 1836, one fell from the sky during a thunderstorm in Charleston. Another was found thrashing <laughs> on top of a gas bag in an airborne Zeppelin. Like, I wonder if that's how the Hindenburg, like, went down. Like, somebody had, like, yeah. a... Like a like a reptile person, like a store store owner was like, I'm gonna fly fly from Nazi Germany with my crocodile Zed and then it got mm -hmm. out and bam, just blew the fucker up. And one even turned up in a passenger's toilet on a train. Talk about a surprise <laughs> guest during your daily commute. These crocodiles may have been escaped pets or smuggled creatures, but with over 100 reported cases of out-of-place reptiles, who knows what other wild explanations could be lurking. Let's not forget the surreal Hackenberry Bear scare of 1981. Picture this. Four brave boys, ages 9 to 13, out walking their dogs in the Hackney Marshes. They stumbled upon what they believed to be bare footprints in the snow. Excitedly, they approached a middle-aged couple and asked if they were aware of the bear's presence. To their surprise, the couples confirm and then throw snowballs at them to scare them away. Curiosity gets the best of the boys, and they continue their adventure until they come face-to-face -face with a gigantic, growling, hairy creature standing on its hind legs. Cue the running and the screaming. The next day, the police searched the area with dogs and helicopters, tranquilizer guns, the whole kit and caboodle. Find nothing but some convincing tracks. It seems like a prank, right? Well, the police couldn't find any costume shops that had rented out bear suits, and the tracks didn't match up. It's a mystery that even Sherlock Holmes would scratch his head over. With the alligator story reminded me, there's been several occasions that we've found alligators here in Kansas. And clearly, they're most likely somebody's pet they let go, or, you know, an escapee from a pet shop or whatever. But um, on October 12, 2018, two alligators were found on the same day, one in Olathe and one in uh, Basor. And I know, I want to say they found one up in Kichai, or just a little bit north of Kichai, which is like, I don't know, 10 minutes north of here. And uh, some other places in Kansas. So, yeah. They got them goddamn Florida meth gators. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also, uh, reportedly, giant alligators in the sewers of New York, which inspired the uh, story for one of the greatest horror movies of all time, Alligator. Oh, I thought you were talking well, about Ch Chud with uh, you know, the. Creepers. I love Chud. That's a good one. I got the score on vinyl, actually. Yeah, so do I. Neon green. <sighs> oh, yeah, you do, right? Boom shakalaka. Boom well, folks, that pretty well does it for this episode and Phantom Cats. Again, I was really excited thinking Phantom Cats were going to be ghost kitties, kind of like the Phantom Hounds. But no, they're just cats that don't belong, but still fun all the same. And there's a whole slew of other, you know, weird monsters out there that are feline, too. But definitely the yokai... And the uh, cactus cat were two of my favorites. So, so I, I think the uh, the most important thing to take away from this episode is if uh, these reports of uh, of these cats, and the the main feeling is, oh, it's all bullshit. Jerry didn't see no fucking cat out in his field. He's just <laughs> he's in the fucking moonshine again. God damn it! 
And then they get out there and they actually find a cat. They find the tracks, or in the case of the elderly puma that just wanted her head scratched, right? We have mm-hmm. the evidence. Uh, the lady that got the you know thirty six inch wide gash across her stomach and almost bled her guts out, right? So we know. Did you say thirty six inch gash? Yeah, that's what it. Uh, go back and read the notes, motherfucker. It was I'm a thirty six. It's thirty six inch gash, like claw marks, dude. Okay, hold on here. Keep going. I'll correct you here. So, I mean, I'm thinking that's probably like a whole entire swipe across. Like, it took its paw. It was like, whoo! And then that was 36 inches. That, that whole entire scratch from end to end was 36 inches long or wide or whatever. I don't hey, know. Hey, I'm, I'm going to eat my hat 35 inches. Okay. Fuck yeah, dude. I know what I'm talking about. So, anyways, the I point mean, in my is, simple mind, I'm thinking like nobody's chest is three feet wide. So, I was yeah. thinking just across. But yeah, from point to point, I suppose. Just shake. Yeah. yeah. My bad, baby. My bad. So, uh, you know, the, the thing to take away is they, they found these sightings to be out of place animals. So, why everybody thought that yeah. it was somebody smoking weed, too, too much moonshine, or they were just hallucinating, um, it is boiled down to misidentification and Mm out-of-place animals. So if we can look at big cats in that light and say not all these reports are bullshit, then it's not too much of a step in the direction when somebody says they saw like a dinosaur, they saw Bigfoot, that it could just be an out-of-place animal. That's something that we've lost sight of. There's a small population and, you know, Maybe Bigfoot is not as big as Bigfoot is because it's been, you know, misidentified like the fucking house cat sunning on top of the thing. Like everybody freaked the <laughs> fuck out and thought it was a lion. Right. But they they had a sighting. They saw something. They just misidentified it. And yeah. uh, it, it was a cat. It just wasn't as big as a cat. So <laughs> Bigfoot. Right. There could be the small possibility that yeah. uh, it, it is some type of ape-like monkey that uh, somehow has adapted to North American environment, and uh, people just are misidentifying how big it really is, but they are actually seeing a monkey-like creature, and we should take these reports more seriously. So if you think big yep. cats in England are fucking crazy, guess what? We just presented over, like, you know, five or ten cases and, uh, you know, fucking 300 confirmed reports, so... Put that in your pipe and smoke it, you disbeliever. <laughs> right? Hell yeah, That's man. All I got. Hell yeah. That's all I got. You're so good. next time, Bigfoot, <laughs> dinosaurs. I don't know what else because I haven't got that far in the research, but I'm sure there's going to be more. Yeah, more uh, more animals that don't belong. Yeah, I have uh, Monsters Out of Time and Space by uh, John Keel. I've got more of I Know What I Saw by Linda S. Godfrey. You've got more of Borderlands by Michael uh, Dash we got a lot to cover between now and next episode, but uh, most importantly, we got to thank everybody for joining us again. Lazarus, Firepixie, thank you always for joining us. We really appreciate you guys. Um, fantastic. Lazarus just mentioned Sheep Squatch. For sure. For sure, Sheep Squatch. Except uh, I don't... I don't think... Uh, I don't think Firepixie digs the... Uh, you know, the... The wife beater you know whatever shirt you got going on there i mean it, it freaks me oh, out why too. not you know I'm a little, <laughs> spaghetti I'm a li- string tank tops and playing yeah. with dookie no judge me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it has a wider a wider strap it's just been washed see isn't that better is that not better? Uh, 
You know, look, it's hot here in Kansas today. <laughs> I feel the sexual tension between us just by looking at you in that. There so go. I'm going to need you to dress more appropriate next time. Well, we want to thank everybody for joining, for listening as always. If you're on social medias, please give us a follow on Instagram. We are at PXL Paranormal. On Facebook, we are The Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter. I'm not going to call it X because that's fucking stupid. You can follow us there. We don't do much on there. Haven't touched it in like three years. But anywho, so that's where we're at. Presto, what do you got, pal? Uh, YouTube, 275 subscribers. So if you're watching us on YouTube, you like the content you see, like, subscribe, share with all your friends. Smash that fucking button, people. Uh, Rumble, mm-hmm. we're up to like nine followers. So, But, I mean, the views that we're getting on those videos, there's more than nine people. I can tell you that. I did the math. Uh, so there's a lot of people watching the videos but not hitting that fucking like and subscribe button. So, you know, help a podcast out. Hit those buttons, mm-hmm. like, and subscribe. Yeah, buddy. Awesome. All right. Now, we are fast approaching our 300th episode. So, we've already got a handful of really great stories we'd like to share more. We're going to be doing a listener story plus um, special guest episodes coming up. So, that'll be fun to celebrate. But please send us your own personal paranormal stories to our email, pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. You can shoot us a DM, you can shoot us a PM, you can send it over to the Instagram, the Facebook, all that good stuff. We also have, I do believe it's still up and running, I check it out every once in a while, a Google Voice. You can leave us a voicemail, 913-662-3144. I think I might throw that out there as just a public um, post as well, just to see what kind of stuff we get, because you never know. Uh, we've also got a lot of fun crossover episodes coming up with some other paranormal podcasts, so we're super stoked about that. Listen, folks, if you're tired of sitting in your house in a spaghetti string tank top, playing with cat poop, <laughs> dressing up like a dog, or pretending to be a horse, or whatever else, and you think to yourself, man, I could get a lot more action. Well, you could, and I'm going to tell you how. Go over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. Again, that's PXLPARA for 20% off your order. Because after you play with the cat poop and you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, God, this tank top is just not that flattering on me, I'm going to tell you how to up your game. Scents like fresh, citrus, mint, classic, sweet tobacco, bay rum. You, I mean... Minus the tank top that Sean has on. Look at that beard. Look at, I mean, it's glistening. <laughs> and I can tell you yeah. for a fact, I've been like a couple millimeters away from it. It smells amazing. <laughs> get it all. Get it at Dobbs. Don't forget the promo code. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> um, if you're in the Wichita area, stop by. See our friend Leslie and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post, Pawnee and Seneca. If you're in the mood for something delicious to eat, stop by either the Paranormal Dot Cafe or our friends over at the Paranormal Egg Experience Food Truck. Two awesome location owned by some great folks. And until next time, I'm going to raise this glass of um, zombie monkey porter and say oh. cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us who love to talk about it. And stay spooky. And stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast that pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. 
Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.